0: This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars, growing the game, one podcast at a time. Welcome back, everybody. This is the next episode of the Know the Game podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Conwell, the analyst and NCAA editor here at LAX All-Stars. Now, this week, I'm pretty excited to bring to you our guest, who is Tyler Lowe. Tyler is the head men's lacrosse coach at UMass Boston, good old beacons. He is also the founder of Primetime Lacrosse Events, um, and they are an events company that runs things primarily in the Massachusetts and New England area. But they're starting to branch out a little bit more, and we'll touch on that. He's also one of the founders of the NALL, which was a professional box league within the U.S. a few years ago, which I know some people are familiar with. Said differently, Tyler has done a lot of stuff in the lacrosse world and still continues to do a lot of stuff. Former player, entrepreneur, and current coach, as well as leading a business. Now, I do also have to... Provide the obvious disclaimer. Um, if you are paying attention to Lax All Stars this week on our homepage, on our social channels, you know it's Primetime Week, and Primetime Lacrosse is a partner of Lacrosse All Stars. We do check out their events, but it's important to point out that that relationship is not necessarily why Tyler's on the show. Is the timing there? Yes. Yeah, we wanted Tyler on this week while we're doing Primetime Week, but. Tyler was somebody that, being in the Boston area, I focus on in-person interviews. He's a head coach of one of the Boston schools, running one of the big events companies right in the area. He's somebody that was always very high up on my list to make sure we talked to because he has a great background of lacrosse in this area. Since we do talk about this a little bit, he started getting involved in all this club lacrosse stuff, the NALL, right at the right time. Um, right as a lot of those things were just starting to blow up, that was when he was graduating from college from Babson, where he was a player and looking to do you know that whole adulting thing, and the way he jumped into that was starting a business and just sort of went for it. So I think it's a really interesting story. I think you're going to learn some things here and probably have some more questions afterwards. But I want to make sure that you are given the chance to really give this one a good listen because I think it's uh, it's an excellent interview and you're going to learn some things from Tyler. Now before we jump into that interview with Tyler, let's have a word from our sponsor Summit Lacrosse Ventures. All right, and I actually want to give a quick shout-out to Summit Lacrosse Ventures because they just had a new announcement, which is they were upgraded in their recognition from U.S. Lacrosse. Um, they are now a sanctioned program, which really speaks highly to their operations and the quality of event you're going to see. So all their youth events, I believe they run 11 of them in 2019 are going to be sanctioned by U.S. Lacrosse, um, so make sure you check those out as well. All right, now on to our interview with Tyler Lowe. All
1: right, now we are
2: here with Tyler Lowe. Um, Tyler, how would you introduce yourself at a party? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, so I okay, am who are you? No, I agree. I uh, So I'm the head men's lacrosse coach at UMass Boston, uh, and I'm the co-owner at Primetime Lacrosse, and a lot of my focus with Primetime is on the event side.
1: Now, how did you get into this um, kind of dual career sort of thing, running lacrosse events as well as being an NCAA coach? I mean, you, sure. Usually, you guys do one or the other. Um, right. Doing
2: both is can be a little bit of an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was in uh, college at Babson, I was a junior uh, going into my senior year. Um, actually, I'm sorry, I was a sophomore going into my junior year. Um, and my business partner, Jason Wellmeyer, was the, the great above me at Babson. Um, and for us, you know, uh, for those of you who know a little bit about Babson as a school, you know, the pros are everyone there super, super driven. Um, but, you know, some of the cons are, you know, if you're someone who, goes in there without maybe a dead set idea on exactly what it is you want to be and exactly what your career is going to hold. um, Sometimes that can be a little bit scary, a little bit daunting. And for us, you know, I think both Jason and myself knew that we wanted to run our own business. um, And I think, you know, lacrosse was kind of a natural progression for us. So, you know, we started kind of a pickup league in, um, in Natick. Um, The summer, like I said, between my sophomore and junior year, had about 70 kids just kind of coming out on Thursday nights, playing pickup lacrosse. Um, And it was something that, you know, we thought we might be able to, to to grow into something. I don't think we had any idea what it would what it would become today. Um, for us, you know, our first idea and our first kind of you know process with lacrosse was we were actually gonna you know try to make a, a social media kind of platform just for lacrosse players. And so for us, that's really how we got our start. Um, and again, that was you know again something that never really got off the ground. But I think in in starting that, we kind of realized what we were good at. And so the the following summer. Um, we actually started, you know, we ran overnight camps at Babson when I was going to be a senior and Jason had just graduated. And so, um, you know, that for us, you know, really kind of sparked everything, you know, that was still miles and miles away from being able to to be anything resembling a full-time job. So at the time Jason was, when he graduated, he was running, um, working a bread route, visiting, you know, dozens of supermarkets every day. Uh, And I was working landscaping for, Um, I was working landscaping for my cousin's company. That's something I did for for just about my whole life. So that was really just trying to make ends meet. And so I had an opportunity to be an assistant at UMass Boston. um, And and that was something that, you know, to be honest, it it was something that brought in a little extra money and kind of, you know, helped get some experience and stay involved with college across. So, you know, it was really, again, it wasn't like these things just kind of happened overnight. It was definitely a, a, a slow road to these being able to be a career.
1: I think to give some context to what you're describing there, I think we have to give the listeners a bit of a geography lesson for eastern Massachusetts. So UMass Boston is on the water, um, you know, eastern shore in Boston. Mm -hmm. You know, Boston itself as a city is not huge. Uh, For anybody that's been there, it's not a big area. Um, Whereas Batson is in Wellesley, Mm -hmm. and you were also saying about um, Primetime's now based in Mm -hmm. Nadex, another. Much more of like the commuter zone, suburban, yep. um, suburban Boston type of area where a lot of the people that work in the city, you know, come back out and they kind of live right. their lives outside of uh, Route ninety five.
2: Right. that, Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way of putting it for sure. So, but um, just for the listeners, UMass Boston is right on the water. So keep that in <laughs> mind when you're looking at. Uh, keep that in mind when you're looking at schools. You always got a plug. <laughs> That's right.
1: Um, now when you were at Like you're saying, it's a very driven place. Sure. Um, When I was at RIT, it's a very similar thing. Like people were there to be engineers. Right. Um, Babson has a similar type of reputation, I say, especially within Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. As I mean, it's a business school. Right. Absolutely. Um, So, what were you um, studying there, and what have you taken from that um, going forward? Because, like you said. like a lot of college graduates the the first couple of years, especially towards the end of college I and mean, then right. graduating you know it becomes all right what the heck am I going to do, especially if you have any sort of entrepreneurial bug
2: right, no, absolutely um you know and so especially you know with kind of you know how I grew up, my dad um, was in sales, and so that was someone that I've always looked up to and you know, working for my cousin, he owned his own business, and my cousin started a landscaping company. Um, In Concord, mass that, you know, my older cousin, Joey was 14. My younger cousin, Doug was 12. So they really started this thing out, you know, very, very young, uh, you know, before they could even drive. And it grew to something that was, you know, employing 12 or 15 people full time. And I really got to see that progression, you know, growing up, probably broke some child labor laws on, on the, on the mowers pretty early. But, um, you know, again, being able to see them grow, that was something that was really inspiring for me and really show me that, you know, to be someone who's, uh, you know, finding a lot of success in a career, you don't need to be behind a desk. You don't need to be someone who's, you know, necessarily kind of tied to what people traditionally think of with the business world. Um, so that being said, that was really kind of the the, the most inspiring piece of it for me and my decision to go to Babson.
1: Now, when you talk about business and lacrosse, um, one of the things that has been coming up very recently is professionally. Yeah. Um, all Ravel starting the PLL is sure. very fresh in everybody's mind. Yep. Um, but I think what's going to be interesting, and for any box lacrosse fans that are listening in right now, these initials are going to sound in- uh, not interesting, but familiar. Right. Is the N A L L, and you were uh, pretty pivotal in the creation of that. So why don't you tell us what was the N A L L and
2: what was your role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the N A L L. You know, Jason and I, you know, ran two franchises: the Boston Rockhoppers and the, the Rhode Island Kingfish. Um, and and again, I was, I think, uh, twenty three or twenty four. You know, when we we started with that, and so, you know, again, it, it, the fact that Ryan has to, you know, remind everyone what the NALL is should give you an idea of of, of just how that went. Um, but but the reality is, it was an absolutely incredible, you know, learning experience for us. I mean, again, we could fill hours talking about you know, kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff and what went into that. Um, But for us, I think it was, you know, really a a crash course in, you know, all aspects of of running a business and a a crash course in, you know, really kind of just finding a way to get things done that that people don't think you necessarily can. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, so that was something that, like I said, we ran for, I think, ended up being close to three years total between the two the two franchises, um, and again, the, the people were involved. who were involved are really still, especially the players, some of our, our closest friends today, um, but for us, that was about, you know, we love the box game. It's something that, you know, we didn't have the opportunity to grow up with, but it was really something that, you know, exposing that to as many fans locally as we could was really something that, that we wanted to do, and, you know, we, we set out to do that.
1: Now, the N-A-L-L, mm-hmm. or anyone that's not familiar. Was an attempt to create a, another professional lacrosse league, um, you know, specific to box lacrosse, mm-hmm. and it it like you said, it had some success. Um, you know, there were there was an initial creation, there was a split, there was it, well, the other one was the PLL. Or
2: I believe so. Yeah, I think there was there was, there was four <laughs> or five kicking around by the time yeah. we we're all all said and done. Um, so.
1: so was a, there was a period of time there where you know there were a lot of franchises around yep uh, Kentucky stick horses mm-hmm. of course the big one which I think the rock Hoppers beat that's, that, that, that is right yep that's right um, but I think what was interesting about that is you were able to learn um, the other side of trying to grow the business through a professional means. yeah. to run a team on a weeknight league, week, week. whether right. it's high school, whether it's you know, post-collegiate. Just getting you know twenty people together and getting out there for a game is one level of difficulty. <laughs> right. Throwing um, you know admission prices and trying to have a consistent product is another level. Throwing a travel component on top of that, and then throwing in sponsors and trying to actually build a professional is, is just you know. On top of that, even crazier, right? So when you look at the age you were, how in the world were you even able to get that off the ground?
2: Yeah, like I said, I mean, for us, it was people that have been a part of my life for a long time. You know, in part in Jason in my life for a long time. It really. You know, our, our families and, and our spouses and, you know, everyone just kind of really bought into to finding a way to make this work. I mean, my, my grandma is selling socks upstairs. You know, my wife and Jason's wife are running around, you know, kind of trying to make things work. Some of our best friends are, are down trying to screw the turf in down on the, the floor. So, I mean, again, I think we were we were really surrounded by incredibly supportive people. Um, and like I said, it kind of shapes, it, it's something that shaped a lot of my views on coaching, a lot of my views really on On life and business it was just a group of people that that didn't take no for an answer and a group of people that that wanted to find a way and obviously I think it's something that's really easy from the outside to kind of brand as something that was a failure but in reality you know it was something that there was no shortage of miracles just to get to get games happening at that time so I mean for us like I said I mean it's something that we're we're not quite looking back on it fondly, but I think it's as the days go by, it's getting a little bit closer to being able to do that. But again, it's the biggest thing I think about when I think about the NALL is just the appreciation I have for the people involved, you know, especially the players and kind of just how, you know, their passion for the game really kind of superseded a lot of the, the struggles we had, you know, kind of putting the product on the floor. All right. So that's one aspect of your background. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Um, like you said, you started there as an assistant mm-hmm. coach. How long
2: have you been So this will be my ninth season as a head coach of Mass Boston.
1: And what do you think about how the school has evolved over that time? Because again I'll give some more context to the people listening in. Mm-hmm. Boston area, Um, a lot of the schools around here, which there are a lot of them, um, do rely on nearby apartments and, you know, uh, students commuting in, doing all that sort of stuff. But UMass Boston being where it is, is in a situation where you can become a more residential campus. Sure. So what's it been like for you as the school has been taking those steps
2: to... Yeah, I mean, for us, it's been an absolutely incredible transition. Um, You know, I've been very, very fortunate at UMass, like I have in the NALL, like I have in primetime, to have people that have just been incredible mentors, you know, in the process. I was, again, I got hired to be a a head NCAA lacrosse coach at 23. And to say at that time, I, I didn't know what I was doing is kind of an understatement. So right off the bat, I'm incredibly fortunate that I had people in the administration that are still there today that that believed in me and believed in kind of helping me grow through this process, you know, to kind of where the program is today. Um, Again, we we, we took over a program that, you know, was just barely had enough kids to play. Um, And, you know, as a school, the transition we've gone through, I think, has really reflected the, the growth that our program has gone through. You know, again, I can't, you talk about programs like our, our softball program, like our soccer programs, like our ice hockey programs, like our baseball programs. I mean, these are teams that are, you know, despite what, you know, three, four, five years ago would be perceived on the outside as limited resources. These are programs that are, you know, going to frozen fours that are winning championships that are, you know, really making a, a footprint on the national stain. And so for us having that blueprint to follow with our program, you know, for us has really been an incredible opportunity.
1: Now, one of the things that I love about U.S. Boston and schools like it is uh, a big reason why I actually had you guys in an article like that spring. um, There are so many D3 schools Mm -hmm. out there that it's easy to get lost in the shuffle when you're um, maybe, what, 10 miles from the top. Sure. Which, of course, gets uh, a lot of national attention. Right. People talk to, but what is life like being in one of the D3 schools? That, um, you know, when you got a top team state, regularly, and get yourself in the NCAA tournament is, you know, a a big accomplishment, Mm -hmm. and then try to make some noise there. Um, so what's it like being at that level where, um, you are maybe not in the national conversation, but fighting for that conference championship Mm -hmm. every year is the motivation getting.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, for us, it's it comes down to kind of the the guys that we're fortunate enough to coach every day. I mean, for us, we have an incredibly passionate group of guys. We have an incredibly committed group of guys, um, and we tell guys in the recruiting process, our goal is to make this, you know, closer to Division One experience than what you're going to get at a lot of places. It's a school with fifteen thousand undergrads. It's a school that, you know, supports athletics in really an incredible way. I um, mean, I think again, a lot of our programs have really seen you know, seeing that come to bear. And so, you know, again, when we're looking at these programs, we're fortunate in a lot of ways where, you know, geographically, there's a lot of programs that not just at UMass Boston, but a place like Tufts that for us from a culture standpoint, you know, from from a standpoint of, uh, you know, how they, they take the next steps, how we take the next steps is really something that, you know, again, it's right in our backyard. That being said, I, I think a lot about you know, I think a lot about the movie Cool Runnings, and I, I don't remember the exact scene, but maybe you can cut in here with that or something. But you know, when they they're, they're sitting in the hotel room and 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 you know they're they're talking about how they they have to do it their way, and you know they're they're never going to be like the Swiss. And I, I think I, I look sometimes like like Tufts is the Swiss. You know, they 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 go about things a certain way, and they're incredibly professional in our approach. But for us to get where we want to go, we're we're gonna to have to do it our own way. We're a different type of school, we're we're a different type of kid. Um and so for us I think really we're we're going about it with, with character kids that that are gritty and want to find a way to be successful and want to find a way to make a name for themselves. So again, you know, yet Tufts has obviously accomplished incredible things, but I think we're we're kinda of setting out to do things our own way.
1: And I think there is an excellent blueprint for that with just won the D three championship. Yeah. <laughs> a bit too much of this, but, um, you know, he's a guy that wasn't a coach, or he wasn't brought in three years ago and turned into, yeah, he's someone that was brought in. He's been running that zone defense forever. Um, yeah, absolutely. Really credit everyone around him for helping him bring that in. But it's one of those things where he was trying to set the culture, set the program, and you know, the outpouring of support when. Yeah.
2: At the end right and again I, I, we had the opportunity as a staff to listen to Coach Raba speak you know this past Saturday night down at the IMLCA convention and he, again it's really really hard listening him listening to him speak not to get emotional about you know his program and the success they've had but also uh, you know just kind of the journey we're on as a program you know again it's it was inspiring, but it was also kind of validating where, you know, it it, it may take a while, but, you know, going about it the right way, going about it with the right kids, it's really, you know, there's no shortcut. You got to get a little bit better every year um, and and off the field, on the field, and eventually those things pay off. And again, I I can't say enough about, you know, coach and the things he's accomplished there, but, you know, it just was an incredibly inspiring talk. I think the... Really, the, the most important thing that I, I got from it was just how much he cares about his kids and just how much he cares about their success. And I think at the end of the day, if you don't have those things, it's really hard to build a program. Yeah, and
1: he's someone where sitting in the press conferences at the championship game, you know, that tell, like you said, he cares about... Yeah. Yeah, every coach cares about it. Right. Yeah, it was a a level of selfless that you know usually you see coaches if they're on the other
2: side of the (laughs) right, 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 yeah, and you know, they'll you know,
1: congratulate the seniors, do that sort of stuff, which um, is definitely appropriate for there. But, um, you know, he was doing things at a level that you usually don't see out of someone that
2: just had a life accomplishment. Yeah, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a big yeah. You have a lot of mm-hmm. there. Sure. Um, in the shot clock, in the dive, doing all that sort of stuff. What does that do for
2: yeah, I mean, I I know a lot of people probably say this cuz I don't I don't think it it's great for for recruiting if you sit there and say, "Yeah, we're terrified I hate the shot clock. We we are unbelievably fired up for it." I think you know the the most significant piece of our program when I talk about us running things as close to a D one as we're allowed it is really our strength and conditioning program. Um, our strength and conditioning coach Jeff Ebbs, is, you know, I'd put him up there with anyone in the country across all three divisions. He just does an absolutely incredible job with our guys. He's the single most important factor in, in building our team culture. And so, you know, the type of work our guys are doing in the off season, the type of work our guys are doing, you know, during our fall ball. With Jeff, I think, lends itself to the type of team we want to be and how we want to play um with the shot clock. So again, it, you know, it's something that we're incredibly fired up to see, incredibly fired up to see how it plays out. Again, I think, you know, philosophically as a program, we want to give the game to the players as much as possible. You know, we're big believers that the coaching happens in practice and and in the games, it's really a time to turn it over to the players and really showcase what we were doing all week. And I think the shot clock lends itself to that even more than, you know, even more than it did before. Yeah, and I think that makes sense because just watching you last year, um, obviously the person else mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, the Arnold Brothers. Yep, <laughs> that's right.
1: Um, but I think it was very clear that you were a team that thrived in transition. hmm Yeah. Um, That can set up the offense. You like having the attackmen down there that would take the chances when they have. Right.
2: Um, for us, you know, very little. I think you know we want to put pressure on our opponent in really all phases of the game. I think what's new for us this year and what's really exciting for us this year is you know we return a lot of big time transfer pieces. You know Ned Parker who played at Syracuse, Connor Lenfest, who's at Binghamton. Um, but that being said, we really have a core group of guys you know coming in as freshmen, returning as sophomores who understand culturally the way we want to play and understand you know the type of systems we're trying to play. So for us, again, we want. We believe our guys are going to be most successful when they're having fun with it, and I think you know the shot clock obviously kind of mandates that from a lot of teams that aren't doing it already. But I think for us, playing transition, playing fast, really showcases our athletes, and you know really takes advantage of of what our strengths are as a program. We we talk when we recruit defensemen, we talk about early offense. We talk about how they, if they're not having a 15 or 20 point year, um, you know we're probably doing something wrong in terms of how we want them to play the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was probably the most controversial rule that came out. Yep.
1: Because, you know, there's the aspect of protecting goalies and defenders. There is um, the fact that that does change a little bit how you defend um, yeah. when you do get in close to the crease, as well as how the offense works. On mm-hmm. the hmm.
2: Yeah, to be honest, um, I think for us, we fall for us is really a culture-building time. I mean, we're a little bit different than, again, D1s and D2s where we're limited to 15 practices. So for us, it's really about culture-building. It's about getting young guys to understand the pace we want to practice. It's about getting young guys to understand, you know, culturally what, what a UMass Boston lacrosse practice looks like. And so we, truth be told, obviously we, we've now timed every phase of practice. We've spent a ton of time on the shot clock and clock awareness, but we haven't really dug in yet to a lot of the technical side of things. For us, you know, we get going on January 21st with our practices. And so we saved a week from fall to use in this spring to really kind of get a jump on a lot of those technical things. So for us, I think offensively, Again, we 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 have some media athletic kids down at attack so I think I'm excited to see how that um I I think I see how that that goes. I'm sure. I don't know if the last time Ned played back at Syracuse he uh you know, I think the dive was legal then, so I think he'll be he'll be in pretty good shape, but uh <laughs> but um again, as far as you know how we defend, I think you know again, we anticipate a lot of teams playing a zone with the new rules and I think the dive kind of gives a little bit of a way to attack that. You know, if teams aren't aren't picking up rated GLE, so. Yeah, and that was one of my arguments a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. When, I mean, everyone's been arguing about rules forever, and they're still arguing about <laughs> yeah. you know,
1: what the goal mouth is. I guess right, the hot topic down at the convention, too. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people are gonna try it and realize right. they still in defense <laughs> um, Right. And anyway, you know, just try to as like good defense rather than, you know, right gimmick. Um, you know, if you're not good at zone, you're not good at zone. But <laughs> right. if you are good at zone, um, you know, I think you need that that extra tool for an attack and do, you know, try to get that backdoor cut right. inside rather than, you know, pop
2: out for a longer shot. Right.
1: No, no, I'm with you.
2: I'm with you.
1: All right, so let's take off the UMF Boston hat. Sure. And go to your next job. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, recruiting is a big part of being an NCAA president. Absolutely. And um, with Primetime,
2: you are involved in the Primetime mm-hmm. event side yep. of the
0: world. Yep. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what
1: Primetime is? I know you brought up Jason Wallmeyer before. Mm hmm.
2: Yeah. So, um, yes, like I said, so Jason's been my partner for, um, God, I think going on 11 or 12 years now, um, with primetime lacrosse. And again, it's, you know, from the primetime side, again, it's grown tremendously. I think for us, we've really prided ourselves on being kind of as nimble as possible that when an opportunity presents itself um, you know, in the game, the game's changing so rapidly in various areas and kind of being able to react to those things and being able to put products out there that are our current and kind of industry leading is something that's been very important for us the entire time. So again, we started as an overnight camps business. Um, the way that, the way that you know student athletes approach you know improvement in the summer has changed quite a bit and so there's kind of a natural progression where our, our club business the penguins grew a ton and really superseded the the um camp side of things and then you know on the event side we started with one tournament at Babson College in 2010 and that's grown pretty dramatically um to you know eight events now in both fall and summer and I think for us you know, we, we really look at ourselves and whatever we do as being in the hospitality business. So for us, whether it's the tournaments, whether it's you know working with our families with the clubs, whether it's the overnight camp, we really again customer service and hospitality are really the two things that we we look at you know first and foremost when we think about how we approach how we approach the business. Yeah,
1: and I think it's interesting to point out because um, you know underneath the prime time umbrella, there is also the um, you know the club team. Um, why don't you talk about that split between the two, because, you know, again, for full disclosure, you know, I've been right, covering right. your events, <laughs> your partner with Blacks All-Stars. Sure. Um, I, I think one of the interesting things that I was kind of surprised by the first time I showed up is, um, there was a very clear delineation mm-hmm. there between primetime the event that we're running, whether it be, you know, shoot up, mm-hmm. or brawl, and and the,
2: yeah, absolutely. So I, that was a conscious decision we made probably four or five years ago now to start that process. Um, I coach our 2022 team. And again, it's been an awesome group for us. It's really exciting watching them grow um, grow as kids and really grow as, as lacrosse players over the last couple of years. I was with our 2018, so I was sad to see them go. But you know, back probably when we started the events, the Penguins were kind of a a huge part of the entire brand. So the Penguins logo would be in the tournament logos. It would be in the camp's logos. The colors were the same. And for us, you know, we we really kind of made a conscious decision that if we're going to grow these events to where we want them to be, there has to be a delineation. There's kind of the obvious, you know, operational side of things where there has to be someone in charge of the Penguins at these events. That's incredibly important to us. And then the events themselves, you know, makes it incredibly challenging if it's, if it's the same person or or small group of people, you know, in charge of both of those areas. Now, that being said, there's also, you know, our goal with these events is to serve the clubs and the families that are attending. So for us, it's incredibly important that, you know, we're, we're unbiased or we have the appearance, you know, we have the appearance of being unbiased at these events. So that removing the Penguins kind of branding from that was incredibly important. Um, you know, for us, again, as an events company, we really have aspirations of, you know, being coast to coast in terms of the events we're running. So the Penguins have, you know, obviously have been a very strong name geographically. But as we go, you know, and expand the, the, the reach of these tournaments, we felt like it was important to have a brand that, that wasn't necessarily associated just with, with one club. Now, I do
1: have a couple other questions mm-hmm. right?
2: So, yeah, so, um, well, so it's, so the penguins were really Jason's doing. So our buddy, Mike Lydon, who, um, we played, you know, played with us at Babson. So we were out at the Devon's jamboree kind of slinging our, our, our summer day camps. And, you know, we needed a way to get people over to the, um, get people over to the tent, get people excited, get people talking about it and kind of find a way to do something a little bit different than everyone else there. So Mike was a penguin for Halloween, um, and still had his costume in his car so we we, we threw on the costume and he was kind of waddling around you know slinging canning out flyers getting people to come over to the tent and talk about camps you know keeping in mind this was the, the jamboree in june is probably about 400 degrees in his car and you know he had his 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 halloween costume in the trunk since october so i mean it was it, it certainly wasn't his, his uh his smell that was getting people over to the tent but he definitely again it definitely was was how things got started in terms of calling it the penguins got a
1: yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, I also think it's interesting that the time that you graduated and you started yep. getting this going was kind of also a right place, right time, right yeah, hundred percent. Sort of because it was that was just about the time that the club lacrosse scene was jumping to the next level. And yeah, there, there was some around when you know you were in high school mm-hmm. and I was in high school. Where I was, it was just forming towards the end. Yeah, um, but really, when you started getting going, um, now that's kind of where things jumped up to a brand new
2: level, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it was it really took off, and again, the timing couldn't have worked out better in terms of the club stuff, kind of coinciding with with the events. You know, again, it's it's a, we can run the best events in the world, but if there's no teams to to come to them, it doesn't doesn't give us a lot of success. So, we really everything kind of coincided at the same time with with how that's grown. So again, we were very, very fortunate. Again, we, we can, you know, say all, all, all day long that it was our incredible business acumen that got this going, but, you know, a huge, huge piece of it was, like you said, a right place, right time with, with lacrosse and, and how it's grown. And
1: when we talk about how much it's grown, um, obviously the big flagship one is the primetime shootout. Yes. Um, hold at, I even say one location. Right, right, the right. Summer was yep. different locations. Um, how big is,
2: so that tournament is now, it was at 152 teams this past summer. Um, it's looking like it's going to be larger this summer. That was a tournament that we started, like I said, in 2010 with with 36 teams at it. So it's grown pretty significantly since that time.
1: And um, you also mentioned trying to be a coast-to-coast events company. Yeah. Um, I think the furthest one you do is Lake
2: George. So Lake George, New York right now is, yes. So that was added. This last summer was our third summer doing that. Um, so for us, again, it was we, we want to find places that we can run, you know, what we consider to be world-class events. We don't. Our, our nightmare is kind of being just another tournament that people don't have, uh, you know, feelings towards one way or another. They kind of come, they go home, they leave. That for us is really our, our worst nightmare in, in putting on an event. We want these to be memorable experiences. So it really started with the venue. You know, we basically just a, a Google search of and kind of, you know, qualifying what would be... Or, or seem to be great, memorable, you know, destination-type locations for a tournament, and Golden Goal was one that popped up. And, again, we've developed a tremendous relationship with those guys, but that was really the the, the attention to detail and the attention to, you know, the, the customer experience was really what led us to, to run one there.
1: All right. So now I'm going to bring you into five questions. Okay. i all of our guests. Um, very first one is if you were given $50 million to spend on the sport of lacrosse somehow, yep. how would you actually do it? And how
2: would you spend that? Well, I mean, for starters, I'd probably buy buy turf that fit the surface for the ALL, but um, I guess, I don't know, 50 million buys a time machine. But um, again, I, I think that the growth of the game, again, there's so many people that are so invested in the growth of the game. And I think, again, an events company like us, you know we're we're only we can only ever grow as big as you know the participation in the game so i think you know i don't know how far 50 million million would go but a lot of these states that are are very very new to the high school game um you know being able to find a way to sanction lacrosse in those areas to get coaches in there i think would be would be a great start and that's actually a very relevant thing it's on US um, magazine today mm-hmm. um, just I did see that yeah yeah, wouldn't hate running a tournament in Nashville, for sure, so. Yeah, actually, <laughs> Nashville, Yeah. Really? Well, the Predators are doing very well down there, so i got to imagine it would take off.
1: Really? Cool. That's <laughs> right. Right, right, right. on more of my school lacrosse. Yeah. Um, that's kind of more of a grassroots type of approach. Yeah. Um, now, the next thing is a little bit interesting, which is what is something that you think the lacrosse community talks about like, which takes away from more important
2: conversations? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from uh, ironic given kind of how excited we are for some of these rule changes, but I think it's, I think the rules are something that, you know it seems like every every 6 months or so there's a new a new proposal out there for for how to change the rules how to you know amend certain things and i think for the game to to truly grow and i think for people to truly adopt it i think a consistent set of rules that is something that that is you know as close to universal as you possibly can across you know high school college pro you know, really opens the doors for growth and opens doors for people to be on the same page. I also, again, I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer in what U.S. lacrosse is doing with, you know, the athlete development model with the small-sided stuff. I think that really does an incredible job, you know, growing participation and keeping kids excited about the game. But I do think at, at the higher levels, you know, I do think we spend a little bit too much time worrying about, you know, the rules and worrying about, you know, how we can make things perfect when I think, you know, occasionally leaving things alone is, is the solution. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Right.
2: To so yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. That's kind of putting me on the spot here. I do think, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I, you know, we had an opportunity down in Baltimore to listen to, um, you know, Will Manny, Mike Chanichuk, um, Jesse Bernhardt and Justin Terry talk a little bit about the, you know, the MLL, looking at it through the MLL lens where they've, you know, now played with a shot clock and now obviously they're coaching to it. And, you know, I got to say, you know if it was ever adoptable you know throughout the game I do think the MLL has gotten a lot of that right where I think you know things like a two-point things like a two-point line um, things like the shot clock again there's obviously some logistical challenges you know to how you you implement some of those things at younger levels but I think you know keep keeping a game exciting especially with things like the two-point clock or two-point line and and the shot clock I think you know really really grows excitement at all levels.
1: Mm. Playing a tournament that had it
2: and it wasn't a ton except for the really good players, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you guys, but you
1: also meant that we did not do well with any of your books, but it's it's something where I'll also point back to Kevin Rice when we were arguing about the chocolate when I had him on the show. Yeah. Right,
2: right. So, especially because you did development. Yeah. The, you know, yeah, areas. yeah. Um, you know, top level schools, if you're going to drop you know, Yeah. Arc, gonna a big part of the right. 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 Right, no, exactly. Right No, that is true. That is true. Um
1: you could probably go rule by rule, you know, but for the sake of time, we'll have to So what is something that you think does not get enough attention within the
2: lacrosse road? Yeah, I mean I think it's you know, it may be a cliche answer, but I think the people involved in the in the stories of the individuals, I think it, you know again hopefully and i'm excited with the PLL with the the television deal i think that you know one of i'm a huge huge college football fan and i think one of my favorite parts about watching college football is just kind of the broadcasters sharing the, the some of the behind the scenes stories about the players the coaches the people involved and i think you know, again, the, the PLL represents just the start of that. I think we already see it a lot with college lacrosse, but the opportunity to tell more stories. I mean, again, the, the, the game has given me everything, you know, literally everything I have, I can attribute to, to you know, the game lacrosse. And I think there's just so many people I've come across, you know, since I've been involved with it that, that stories need to be told, I guess, that aren't always. I mean, I think the other piece is, you know, just what a special group, you know, lacrosse people and coaches are. I think, again, back to the IMLCA this weekend where. You know, Reba can't get the, the audio working on his presentation, so so Coach Shea's there. They're jiggling the cord trying to make it work for him. I just feel like at whatever the college football convention is, Nick, Nick Saban's not up there holding the Knox cord in for the, the D3 national champions. It's something that I think is very, very unique to our sport.
1: Yeah, and that's a, a point that I think has been brought up before with how much can lacrosse grow because, before it – Changes for possibly the worst. Yeah. Um, because you do look at other sports, like you said, Nick Saban. He's making I don't even know how many million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, you still have football coaches that you know need second jobs. And right. You have that whole gamut of, uh, or gamut of options within the coaching world, and within lacrosse, it's such a tight knit community. Yeah. That there is going to be a point which it grows and you lose that mm-hmm. um, i know one of the things that i've talked to people in other areas that they know new players lose sight of is you know the native american yeah. origins of the game and i know that's something that you've been able to take advantage of the past couple of years with mm-hmm. boston mm-hmm. um when you've taken trips back to upstate
2: yeah I mean, again, that that for me has been – like I said, again, I can't say enough that the game has really given me everything I have and everything my family has. And so, you know, when we were able to take our team up, you know, to Onondaga Reservation in 2015 and, you know, again, Alf's presentation to our team, you know, was – one of the more emotional experiences I've had as a lacrosse coach, and again, being able to expose our guys to that was something that I think was, you know, profoundly life-changing, and we, we try to get Alf down to as many things as we possibly can now, both with the UMass stuff and on the Penguin side, because I think, you know, so long as there's people sharing that message, I do think, you know, maybe it's an overly optimistic approach, but I do think regardless of you know how big the game grows our our roots are very very different than other sports that are out there and i think as long as we have people that are committed to spreading that message and committed to helping others understand that i think you know the the game will be in pretty good shape
1: yeah and i'm always kind of selfish about that too because that's one of the aspects i mean i grew up in Syracuse, so it's a bit more obvious to me but um you know that's what always made the sport different from everybody. yeah was invented in a gym in Springfield. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, throw the cheap basket up there <laughs> and put <let> that <laughs> game. Um, but you know, that's not where lacrosse came from. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's important to always have that in our minds as well. Absolutely. Um all right, so let's jump to something less serious. <laughs> what is something from the past week that just makes you
2: laugh? Something because from the
1: stupid p- video and Jeez.
2: Something from the past week that uh, makes me laugh. Um, again, so we we man, I'd have to think about that. I think uh, again, being surrounded by college age kids all the time, I think you're in a pretty constant state of, of laughter. I mean, again, without getting into to too many details, we so we have a a kind of a four part character character series in the fall on, on Wednesday mornings where, you know, we have. Two unbelievable speakers come in and, and talk about you know masculinity, drugs and alcohol, mental health. And today was the the final uh, final in the series, which was about about sex and relationships. And so without without getting into too many details, I think sitting in a room, you know, the question was asked. You know, in the, in this day and age, how do guys how do guys go about you know getting a date that might have been different from from you know ten or twelve or fifteen years ago? And I, I guess some of the answers were were, were, were the highlight of my week to say the least so
1: yeah uh, well, I have been coaching high school for the past couple of years and I remember talking to one of my players because it was before practice and they were stressing out over promposals <laughs> yeah like,
2: whatever, it's a
1: thing. yeah and I saw like actual like anxiety and worry yep. in these kids faces and I was just like how much are you guys actually worried about this promposal so, you know, <laughs>
2: The inter- it's blame the internet. <laughs> uh, um,
1: the last
2: one yep. Man, I, I think I was, again, so I've, I was a, uh, I haven't participated in the BBL in a while, probably about a year and a half out. I, I've down, went down and watched my brother who, who's with us at primetime and, and coached with me at UMass. I think I've watched. The boys play down there. That might be the last one. Um, I mean, again, in terms of last game I watched for fun, that is that that is a tricky one. Um, that is a tricky one. I mean, again, my my wife will kill me for saying this, but I think the uh, the last one I I really watched for fun was um, on my phone at her brother's graduation from Tufts. I watched the uh, the Wesleyan RIT game on my phone. So I, I hope. I hope the in-laws don't listen to this before before Christmas, but I, I can say that that was the, the last one that I watched just for, for, you know, not scouting, not recruiting. That was the one that just got, kind of got me fired up, so. I bet, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the most Notable one was a wedding where, um, there, was Duke, ACC, um, yeah. there in the final four. Yep. Um, uh, and, you know, big comeback, it was all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, that was definitely the phone streaming. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe not the proudest moment. Right. That's right. Exactly.
2: yeah I mean from our standpoint, like I said, I, I think I've just been incredibly fortunate you know with with uh, the group that, that that's part of kind of the primetime family here. I've been tremendously grateful for for the work they put in and, and the things they do for us every day, and again, I've been surrounded by some unbelievable people at UMass as well, and I think those at the end of the day are really you know what allows me to balance these things is just being able to to be surrounded by people that I love, and I think that's uh, pretty unique and something I definitely feel blessed for being able to do these things. <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: absolutely that's the plan that's the plan
0: thank you I appreciate it thanks for listening in and I hope you found that interview with Tyler interesting I know A lot of people in the lacrosse world wear a lot of different hats. Um, You know, sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not, but seeing someone that is involved in that many areas of lacrosse, both currently and historically, I think is just really interesting to hear from. So as you're listening to that, um, I'm sure the NALL discussion could have gone on for a long time. I know that's a topic a lot of people want to learn some more about. Um, There's... Enormous growth within the box lacrosse community right now, and learning from things like the NALL is only going to help us grow. Someday, I hope that we do get back to something like the NALL really operating within the U.S. I think the closest one is the IBLA, um, the Interstate Box Lacrosse Association, which I have to say I have a team in. Um, we don't follow the true professional model that the NALL was, but what we try to do is um, be a little closer to the um, you know the Senior B type of setup. But regardless, there's going to be lessons learned from the NALL and some other leagues that have come and gone um, as we try to find a way for high-level competitive lacrosse that can span cities span states, and really create a great foundation for the game within the U.S. I know within individual pockets, like Boston Box Lacrosse League does a great job in the New England area, really attracting some of the top talent there. I know Denver has a lot of great talent out there. Um... There's the New York City Box League run through ULAX. that, again, there's some more LACS All-Stars people down there with Connor Wilson. Um, Brooklyn Dodgers likes to come up to the last night tournament. They're one of those teams. Uh, Cleveland Demons, Columbus Crows um, that are participating in stuff outside of the IBLA and their other leagues. Lots of tournaments popping up around. But in order to really get to the level that we want to go to, we want to be able to have that sustainable league type of model where you have a home floor, you have an away floor, get rivalries going, and ultimately hoist a big old cup at the end of it all. Anyway, that's enough of that tangent. Um, before I wrap up, I want to give a heads up that once again, check out the Lacrosse Classified podcast with Evan Schemenauer or Jake Elliott. They're doing an awesome job diving into What is going on in the NLL Weekly? Um, You're going to hear from them every single Tuesday right around 3 p.m. Eastern. That show drops. Um, They've been getting some excellent guests on there. Um, Just recently they had Lyle Thompson and John Tavares. Those are just two superb talents to have on the show. So they're really doing a great job there. Make sure you check them out. And, of course, there's the Outside the 8 podcast with Cassie Brunel focusing on women's lacrosse, and she's had some great guests, which is well worth your time. I highly suggest listening to everything that she has going on with The Outside the 8. And brand new is going to be The Lacrosse Podcast. Short name, to the point, The Lacrosse Podcast. That is being produced by... Your Wood Lacrosse Sticks crew, Justin and Rich, down in their wood shop. Um, It's a little bit of a spin-off of the wood shop series they've been doing. Um, But, you know, they're getting some professional players into the shop to do some work and make some wooden sticks, which is always exciting. But then on top of that, they're throwing a microphone in front of their face and saying, hey, let's have a show. Um, they're gonna be a little bit of a different format. We try to mix it up each time. We don't just want everybody doing the same show. I mean, what fun is that? But that's gonna be a really exciting show. So make sure you pay attention to our feed and catch that when that one drops. Um, I think you're gonna like that one a lot. But that is all I have for right now. Um make sure that you are tuning in to Lax All Stars with our NLL coverage is really ramping up right now as the season goes forward. We are at laxallstars, laxallstars.com. I'm pretty sure you know that if you're listening to this, but hey, just in case, make sure you check us out. And the final thing that I want to put out a little bit of a call for everyone listening to this. One of the most important things when you're putting together a show or any piece of content is know your audience. Now, podcasts are pretty transferable we have a pretty good idea of you know how many people are listening to this where they are all that type of stuff but I'm actually kind of curious of who is out there and who's listening to this and what would you like to hear Um, are there types of guests you want to have on this show Um, is there any particular area you'd like to have me focus on as I try to put together my 2019 lineup and How do you feel about the overall format? Is there something with the five questions that you find interesting? Is there another question that we should throw in there? Um, Give me some feedback. If you can hit me up on Twitter, um, Twitter or Instagram, it's the same thing. Um, You should be able to send me a DM in there. It's at R-Y-C-O-N-W. Pretty straightforward. Or shoot me an email at ryanconwell at laxallstars.com. That's a pretty easy way to do it as well. Feel free to hit me up. I'm kind of curious who's out there. And I'm going to steal one little thing from one of my favorite podcasts, which is, you know our intro, it's This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars, growing the game one podcast at a time. So, you know it. It's on every one of our podcasts. How about this? Let's throw it out to you. If anybody listening to this wants to take their own little shot, at recording that intro feel free to hit record while you're doing something say hey this is so and so i'm out here playing wall ball in wherever you might be and then you give me that little intro try to keep it 10 15 seconds i will throw you into the front of the next episode so think about it throw together a little recording have some fun with it and see what we can do if i get some submissions we'll start throwing those in there and uh Try to get some of you onto the podcast, even if I can't catch you in person. All right. I've talked a lot about this last little outro here. So I will let your phone, let your computer, whatever it might be, cool down a little bit. And I will catch you next time. (laughs)